Yo, what's up? This is Mikey Dab, and welcome to The Hype Report. Each week, we recap the biggest stories from Hypebeast directly from the minds of the editorial team. I'm here to connect the dots. Let's get into this week's show. Hey, everyone. I'm Nia Gross. I'm an associate editor here at Hypebeast. Good, good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. What are we doing today? So to answer your question, we're going to recap New York Fashion Week today on the fashion side of things. It wrapped up on Wednesday. And actually, one of the big things about it this year is it was a shorter calendar. That was a big deal. So Tom Ford, who recently became the new chairman of the CFDA, he decided to shorten it one day. It used to be six days. Now it's five. Apparently, the industry or the CFDA has gotten a lot of feedback over the years that it's too long and it's too packed. So the president of the CFDA, Stephen Kolb, he decided, he said he'd listen to the feedback and they cut out. According to him, shows that were kind of smaller or that he felt like retailers and big editors weren't necessarily going to want to sit through. And it didn't really feel like it was crammed because of that one day was taken out. And I think it allowed people to really focus on the shows that they really needed to hit or the events that they really needed to hit. Like the bigger names. Yeah, exactly. I feel like that only takes away from people who are less well-known. Totally. So for them, that kind of is unfortunate in a sense. But I think depending on your teams, you can still get people out to your shows and your your events as need be. And anyway, this year, I mean, a trend that I've seen is that shows are super theatrical now. Like it's been going on for a while, but... Just speaking on emerging brands, they might not be able to be as theatrical and performance-based as some of these bigger guys like Colin Strada. And this is a Women's Wear Week, so a lot of these people aren't necessarily in our space. But just to give you some examples, Colin Strada, they staged their show in like a fresh produce market. Mm. And after the show, attendees could go and pick like their own fruits to take home. Ralph Lauren had Janelle Monet performing like in the middle of the show, jumping on tables and stuff like that. DeVoe, who is Tommy Tun's imprint, the street style photographer, we've talked to him a few times. He actually had an entire marching band at his show. Rag and Bone had performative dancers, choirs. Rihanna Savage Fenty Line had a ton of performances. Migos, DJ Khaled, Big Sean, ASAP Ferg, Kira Wack, just to name a few. Then, of course, Pierre Moss, who is arguably the biggest show at New York Fashion Week, had his choir, which let me make sure I say the entire name because he said you have to say the name. The Pierre Moss Tabernacle Drip Choir Drenched in the Blood. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, I had to read that like four <laughs> times. I was like, wait, is that the is that a comma supposed to be in it? No, that's the whole thing. Don't okay, forget got it. the whole name. Mm-hmm. But I've been to his shows for the past few seasons and the choir is always amazing. But this year it even grew. It was like 90 people, like it easily doubled. And it was just as beautiful as usual. So I think that's been a big theme is these theatrical shows. And to me, it kind of mirrors what we've seen in the retail world. Like retailers have had to be more exciting and give this experiential thing for customers in order to draw them in. I wonder if that's kind of the same thing that's happening with designers and brands. Well, I also like the fact that it's it's not just a show. It's reaching a little bit deeper and pulling some some insight from other areas as well. Like uh, it it, it goes it goes far in as far as like women and history. And uh, he had spoken free word before, if I'm not mistaken, about the 400 year anniversary. I think the fact that they're just going uh, and expressing the the nuances of fashion now as opposed to the history then is just powerful, so to speak. And even Rihanna's ability to kind of reach all different body types 
and skin colors is just real. I, I, I appreciate all of that. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously whatever me, but I can still appreciate what's going or what's visible through the art. For sure. No, you're totally right. And that's another thing that I think New York has kind of been a pioneer or one of the leaders is diversity in casting. Like you said, Rihanna is huge for pushing body types. Obviously, Kirby at Pier Malls has a runway full of people of color. Kid Super is another really interesting one this year. He did street casting and he had celebrities along with just fans of the brand walking his show. It was really dope. So I totally think that's something that's coming out of New York. And I'm curious to see if that continues as much in London and Paris and Milan as well. And speaking of Pier Malls, knowing that was such a huge moment, I think we have to spend time just dissecting some of that show. It goes without saying, I mean, he stands for reversing the erasure of black culture. He said many times, this year's show was called Sister and it was inspired by Sister Rosetta Tharp, who's considered the godmother of rock and roll. She was very prominent in the 30s and the 40s. And, you know, the way that American history often goes, her story really isn't told as being the founder of rock and roll. So the P and I learned a lot just from this show. I didn't even know. And so this guy, a writer, Casey Gerald, opened the show for Pierre Moss and gave a speech and kind of explained his opening quote was amazing. He said, a queer black woman invented rock and roll. And then he went on from there to explain. And then here comes the collection walking down the runway and the choir is going through Tina Turner, Anita Baker, into Cardi B's money and Megan Thee Stallion, you wild, know. Wild, <laughs> It's just an amazing transition and just really showed the layers of history and how much black people, black women specifically, have influenced music. And this season he wanted to speak to rock and roll culture and that was just amazing. The actual apparel was fire. It, it was. It was fire. Like sometimes you're like, oh, the story's great, but the clothes exactly. not so good. They coincided very well. Um, the little piano pieces, like everything looked very clean. And even even it had like a rock and roll aesthetic on like some of the uh, some of the other fits with the colors and the way like mm -hmm. they they draped and fit. I was like, that it felt like a 1950s or 40s rocker is For what it sure. felt like. I was like, oh, wow, this is dope. You actually completely touched on my next point. Oh, sorry. No, it's perfect because <laughs> I was saying earlier, like shows have gotten more performative and that's great. But I think something that designers and brands have to be careful with is are the clothes getting lost? Are they still as good as the show? And Pierre Moss is just such a splendid example of that. The clothes, you pay just as much attention to the clothes as you do to the performance in the background, and it all blends together. And some of those colorful pieces you're talking about, that's another beautiful story behind the collection, is, I don't know if you heard, he tapped Richard Phillips, who spent 45 years in jail for a crime he didn't commit, and he was exonerated in 2018. And when Kirby heard his story, he actually went to meet with him in Detroit and partner with him on the prints for his collection because basically Phillips, he had taken up painting during the years and it touched Kirby. And just to bring that in, I mean, that's just amazing. It's just I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you. Like as I was looking at the pieces, mm -hmm. I went back and read again to figure out where he was getting his inspiration because it went from music to art. And I was like, wait, where'd this one come from? Because right. it's indicative. So I was like, all right, let me let me see if he says it. Any and then I was mm -hmm. like, oh, OK, here we go. <laughs> and then I, I, del I delved a little deeper. But yeah. I mean, that is just such a great story. And he also tapped Sean John this season. He's known for working with black brands that really were prominent in the 90s and the early 2000s and really bringing them back to the forefront. So this season he worked with Sean John, which was one of the first companies to give him a fashion scholarship back in the early days. So he oh. said behind the uh, backstage that it was a full circle moment for him, actually. 
And I thought one of the coolest pieces was he had a shirt and it said, vote or die for real this time. Mm. <laughs> I just love his take on things. And we have to also touch on the Reebok by Pierre Mall stuff. You were saying you really liked that. Yeah. Well, oh, what's his name? Is it Caleb? What's Caleb, Caleb McLaughlin from Stranger Things. He Fire. walked, he opened that segment. And I'm not usually a big fan of certain aesthetics. Not going to lie to you. Like I'm very classic. I wear my hoodies, I wear my jeans. But every once in a while, I'm like, I'm going to wear that. And at some point, I'm going to wear that. <laughs> just just the entire fit. And I don't like to even just take entire fits, but just the way the, the swagger on the on the walkway, it just he killed it. I was like, oof. I completely agree. And everyone is always in anticipation of what sneaker he's going to do. So he debuted his fourth iteration, which is the experiment for the Fury Trail. It's similar to what he's dropped in the past. It's got a chunky aesthetic. The sole is noticeably different, mm -hmm. like kind of jagged. And he did a lot of color blocked this season, um, which are really bright and bold. And I know it's probably going to sell out like they always do. And I thought the color palette in general was just beautiful. It was like melon and pastel blue and mango. And it was just fun. It was vibrant. And it actually releases next month. He's kind of doing more of a see now sort of by now i mean it's by in a month but since we haven't heard from him in a year it's basically going to be available quicker uh, that, but that's actually a pretty good turnaround time from from runway to sale yes i'm not sure i'm sure it'll be different drops but supposed to start dropping within the next month so that's great and I'm always a fan of that, by the way, because like sometimes it, like they wait too long mm -hmm. and you're like, you, you almost forgot what you saw. You forget. And you're like, wait, did I like that? I think I liked it. It looks pretty dope. And then maybe like the season doesn't even fit anymore. Mm -hmm. like, I, like you just said melons and pastels. I love melons. Mm -hmm. You can't tell today because I'm wearing forest mm -hmm. green. But like for the most part, that that is my color palette. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in December, I might not want to wear that. Agreed. So, so like the the um, the urgency to get it out is very wise as well. I agree. Yeah, I'm excited. And he also had a super star-studded crowd. No surprise there. I mean, just to name a few, we had Kehlani, Quavo, Sweetie, Karuchi, Victor Cruz, Justin Skye, Smino, PJ Tucker, like the list goes on. And it's just so cool how Kirby's all about family. So after the show, he had his after party in the theater. It was in King's Theater in Flatbush. So he brought it back home. Which is another thing. Mm -hmm. That he's always doing. And I, I love that he brings the entire fashion industry to like the middle of Brooklyn. <laughs> and so after the show, everyone was just partying in the King's Theater. Celebrities, fans, people in the audience. Which it's important to note this season. He tried to open it up to more people. That's why he held it in a 3,000 seat theater. Mm -hmm. But I know they tried, and that's something Kirby has talked about in the past. He's trying, been trying to figure out ways to open it up to more people because he knows people really like it, and he's figuring that out. And this season, he for sure did it. I could go on about Kirby and Pierre Moss. I have a feeling but you, I'll you like you. Pierre Moss. I'm not going to lie to <laughs> Can you. Can tell? I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes. Um, then another big one in our space, Kith, who we know is known for collabs this season. They did a ton of collaborations. Vogue, Disney, Def Jam, Rude, Pendleton, Bergdorf, Goodman, there are even more. I really personally, I love the Vogue bomber jackets a lot. I even thought the Disney pieces were pretty sick. They had some nice sweaters, some really cool jeans. It was just so much. It was just a lot to digest. I, I felt the same exact way. And it was quick. I, I, I want to say 30 minutes at most mm. uh, of like, a, and there was just one after the other. It was hard to kind of 
digest mm -hmm. how much was was coming at you like i like to like sit and pick apart pieces because mm -hmm. i'm not gonna buy an entire fit what i'll do is i'll buy a piece here and a piece there because oh, kid is kid mm -hmm. so so pants or tops but like it and everything is layered mm -hmm. so it's really hard to embody exactly how much you're getting out of that one fit it, right. it's like nine pieces you're like wait, wait is, that, is that a sweater well, how is that tied together uh, exactly and, and, and they're walking so fast and i yeah. got lost uh, they also did the the misbehave again which mm -hmm. was That's which i that. which i thought was kind of clean not gonna lie and it, it's yeah. it's it's minimal branding which i don't want to get too far into and that. those <laughs> are some of i think the most sportswear like i can work out in this pieces they're really colorful too my big thing too with all these collaborations like that's fun and you reach a lot of different markets but kith's own clothing kind of got lost like i know they do all their plaid their classics but i was paying way more attention to the vogue and the disney stuff and i actually didn't register as much what Kith in itself was standing for this season. Yeah, he kind of typecast himself in a box by doing all the collabs, yeah. is what I feel. So, like, it's it just one of those situations where, like, people are expecting to see big names. Like, it was Versace last year and the whole blowout. So, you're like, all right, well, mm -hmm. what's what's the next big name he's going to do? And it, it becomes something you have to follow up on. Otherwise, people are like, oh, what are we getting? What, exactly. what are we really getting out of the show? But I, I think that Kith has a really strong base in clothing prior to the collaboration. So they, they, they tend to get lost in that mm -hmm. every once in a while. And, and sometimes the collabs are very minimalist. So like you'll get something and you're like, okay, it's first like some of the Versace stuff I'm not gonna even mm -hmm. touch. But like some of the other brands that they do, it's, it's just like Kith and the company. And you're like, that's super minimal. Mm -hmm. to, to me, that's kind of minimal, you know? Yeah, I agree. It's interesting too, it makes me think of in a far off kind of way, off-white in all of his collaborations, but instead of doing it throughout the different stages of the year, he just did it all at once. Mm -hmm. He just put like 10 on the runway at once, whereas off-white, you know, the company will put out one this month with Evian and one the next month. I'm curious if there's some of that going on there, just trying to put your stuff out and get it out there everywhere. But knowing Kith is known for their collabs, of course, so it's not like they're copying. I'm not saying that. But it's interesting how all these people are putting out these limited edition mm -hmm. pieces. And there's just so many of them, though. It creates, so many collabs, I mean. It creates such a such a large buzz for the brand. I like location-specific collaborations. So, like, if you're doing outerwear and it's the middle of summer, but you have a location in a cold climate, it only drops there. Like, right. that, those kind of things make sense to me. Like, a lot of the time, you'll find brands that just, you know, um, dropping a bikini uh, in Alaska. Like, wait, what? What? I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. Or we're just going to drop it across every single store when, like, most people don't even need it there. That that kind of thing. Like, I'd like to see more of that from certain brands. Maybe Kith, maybe others. Because, I mean, they have Miami. They have L.A. Uh, Selfridges in uh, the U.K. Obviously, New York also. So, like, there's enough places where you can disperse correctly. So, well, that was pretty much Kith in a nutshell. I'll be looking out for some of those pieces. So I also wanted to touch on Helmet Lang. So they actually returned since their show in February, and February was their first runway show since the spring 2018 season. So they came back again. Mark Thomas is the creative director of menswear and women's wear, and Thomas Cawson is the creative director of Helmet Lang Jeans. And I really like this collection. I thought it was really fresh. It definitely revisits a lot of what the label was known for in the 90s. It was pretty classic. Lots of tailoring, really clean denim, sheer fabrications throughout, and the palette was really clean too. It was very muted. Lots of white, pastel blues, some gray in there, and then for color, a bit of forest green, a bit of dark teal. Overall, 
I just thought it was a solid collection and I think it's a good direction for the brand to keep going and keep kind of revisiting that aesthetic they've been known for. Did you get a chance to check it out? So, so I did look at a lot of the pieces just because I feel like I, I have to stay up on certain things. And I noticed like an emerging trend here is that they're trying to find a space between the mature and the adolescence. So like some of it's very clean and some of it's very indicative of some, some edgier stuff. Uh, I did like the colors a lot too. Sometimes I'm, I'm very iffy about the darker colors, but they, the way that they paired it with the dark greens and then like a lighter green on the shirt, like it was, it was fire. Yeah, it was I'm really smart. And I think you're right. I think they are trying to blend both of those customers, a little bit of the younger, a little bit of their core market who've grown up with them. And I think they're doing it in a good way, in a way that makes sense and not trying too hard on either side. And it's relatable for a lot of different audiences. So. They, they had the entire cast of uh, Stranger Things in like the front row. Yeah, that that's was, that was, pretty sick. I was like, hmm, I see where you're going with Stranger this and Things I like it. Stranger Things is out here dominating Fashion Week. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I like it. You know, you know, I feel like they're very mature in their choices too. I don't know who's styling them, but they're very mature. It's not like they're doing, I'm not gonna say like, like kid punk kind of, you know, forget the world and I don't <laughs> care what your style is, I'm gonna make my own style. Like everything is very clean. It's very, like I said, mature. Agree. They're not trying too hard and they just always look great. The kids are really cool. So makes sense that they would be at Helmet Lang. What? Anything else? No, that pretty much are the biggest ones I wanted to touch in terms of kind of the streetwear realm. That pretty much wraps it up for us in New York Fashion Week. We'll be on the lookout for what happens in London next. All right. Thanks for stopping by, Nia. Of course. For the latest in fashion and style, follow Hypebeast Style on Instagram or go to hypebeast.com forward slash fashion. Hi, my name is Eddie, the managing editor here at Hypebeast. And today we're going to talk about the new iPhones, of course, uh, as well as the Apple event that happened over in Cupertino on Tuesday. Cupertino, love that title. I was a big fan. So what did you, uh, what did you think off the bat? So the keynote felt very familiar. I think that's a, a very good way of explaining these keynotes. And, you know, familiar is not a bad thing. I think they're very informative and they, they do generate a lot of buzz. Apple's, you know, their strength is definitely in the marketing. And the, the phones are good upgrades. I would say they're good upgrades. They're not radical departures. You know, maybe they're not as innovative as they were. But to be honest, I, maybe innovation isn't what we need right now. I think we really just need trusted, genuine, quality products from Apple, and that's what they're known for. I think that's what they've been doing as of late. I, I definitely think you're right, though. The days of a drastic change in phones from one year to the next, are, it's pretty much a thing of the past. Aside from other companies that are putting out phones, you know, Apple's sticking true to themselves and doing, like you said, the marketing is real. A lot of marketing. The new additions are there. You know, the, the ultra-wide camera is ultra-wide. 13-millimeter, even for, to photographers, 14-millimeter uh, lenses exist out in the camera world. Mm -hmm. you know, Canon's had like a 14-ultra-wide uh, for a while, uh, and they perform exceptionally well. They're really, really, really wide. 120 degrees of view is a lot. And uh, if you check the specs on it, like it's very clear 
and clean. The lines are clean. Like a lot of the time when you go that wide, like I shoot. So like you'll get to, you'll start to see that curve and your, your line just get distorted so right. easily. So, I mean, based on what they're saying, the lines are pretty clean as well, which is hard to get. Right. And there's, you know, there's a lot of factors when you go that wide, uh, you know, to, to sound nerdy for just a minute, there's distortion, you know, the fisheye lenses uh, curve out, you know, literally looking like a fisheye. Uh, there's uh, vignetting. Vignetting is a darkening of the edges because the lens is so wide that it's hitting the edges of the outer rim of the lens. So didn't really see any of that when we were playing around with the phones. So I think for even amateurs, you know, they will definitely appreciate the ultra wide and the integration with the software. So when you go into the camera mode, you can uh, and you're seeing it from just the wide angle, you're able to see outside of the frame to the ultra wide is a really nice touch. You guys can't see the the pure excitement on our <laughs> Again, faces yeah. talking about this. Like, it, it's really bad. Uh, between me shooting and understanding that he understands, like, the, the raw factors of the lens is making me very happy. Right. <laughs> so, but then, you know, that begs the question, um, iPhone 11 or iPhone 11 Pro? Uh, definitely Pro. I mean, I really feel like the only added bonuses from my perspective are the camera. The camera is the most important part, obviously, in the battery. But if I'm going to do a new phone, I might as well go for the biggest thing that they have, one. And two, the camera, which is the most important thing that I think they've upgraded. So Yeah, well, don't under-deliver that battery because during the event, when four hours or five hours more than the uh, XS models, when that was announced, the crowd cheered i i haven't seen the crowd cheer like that in, in a long time i have an excess like I'm, I'm not that that's you know obviously i usually go for the largest model that they put out and i haven't really i, I carry a battery with me but i'm expecting my phone to die because i'm on it all day it's just an inevitability like i'm gonna between text and message and instagram and twitter and email whatever's going on by like three o'clock i'm i'm juiced out so for five hours more, is it really going to be that big of a deal? And what is really five hours more? Everybody uses their phone differently. Yes, that's true. Um, I, I just found it very surprising that it wasn't just one hour more. You know, mm -hmm. like all the, the announcements for every phone, they've increased, hour, so, yeah. Yeah, they've increased the battery. Or, you know, they, they tout that it's the same day battery life, right? Same all day battery mm -hmm. life, which, you know, is great. That's fantastic, especially with new enhancements and things like that. But when they said four hours more or five hours more a lot of people were just like wow that's pretty significant how do you test that how do you how do you test that like seriously though like i i, I so like i can gauge monday through wednesday those are like my busiest days like okay at around three o'clock my phone is probably at 20 percent. just so when i get the new phone do i have to see if it's like i don't know later than that like am i doing more am i doing less like there's no real way to gauge that which is why i think they loosely base it on like five hours more than our previous or yeah i think mainly their testing is stress testing yes yeah, they, yeah. they play a video or could be internet streaming or something specific that really pushes the cpu past its uh well not past its limits but or maybe even past its limits yeah because you know cpus can be overclocked mm -hmm. past their uh processing power so Again, like, you know, four or five hours enhancement, I think, is definitely a welcomed addition along with, you know, the three cameras or the four cameras, depending which model you get. But other than that, I mean, we'll have to all buy new cases. Oh, that's the thing that gets me every single year. And it, they, there's never a case the day of. Uh, maybe they'll change it this year. I don't know. But I, I used to camp out for iPhones. That's like how bad I was. 
So, and you would get there and you'd get your phone. You'd be like, oh man. And two days later, I remember it was four years ago or five years ago, I stepped out of the car and dropped the phone mm. directly on its face. And they, they, there was a, it was the gold one when they first did the gold one, as a matter of fact. And they wouldn't, I couldn't get a new phone because there were no phones. So I had to like sit there and like just stare at a cracked phone for weeks until they were like, okay, we can issue a new one. I was so mad. But there were some other extras though. We had uh, the arcade, which seemed kind of cool, yeah. $4.99 a month, which is like a reasonable price point for the entire family. So I was like, okay, I get it. There's a little bit bell. Um, the Apple TV Plus that you get for free with all the, if you buy something new from Apple this year. So if you get the phone, if you get a laptop, if you get a Mac, whatever you buy, they give it to you for free, which is yeah. nice. I think that's a nice little added bonus. And they previewed some series as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think the the free edition of one year is a great bundle. Mm -hmm. um, somebody in the office mentioned they're like, "Oh, great, sixty bucks!" <laughs> like, well, if you think of it that way, sure. But mm -hmm. I mean, that gesture even I think is already a, a good sign that yeah. Apple's you know they're trying to compete against Netflix, Hulu, Prime, and all of those. I don't again. I don't think they're going to revolutionize anything. The pricing is very very good for what they are. But to be honest, I would like to see Apple really step their game up and bring something radical where the audience won't need to look at a pricing. I think it's like foot in the pond kind of deal at this at this point. At this juncture in time, they're like putting their foot in the water like they have money. It's not like it's like a question like, should we spend it on this? We won't have capital for that. That's not a question. It's like, what can we do to test the waters on what we can do after this? Like, okay, if the series takes off well and we really get a good bite, okay, then we can continue doing series. Right. And I think that's the strategy, right? The, the strategy behind not only their rollout, their marketing, uh, their products, it, it's all integrated. And, you know, it goes into maybe the analogy of like their chipset, right? A13 and, and like everything is integrated within the company. Uh, we're seeing that in their marketing as well. Like everything is integrated. The streaming aspects are integrated. The hardware is integrated. The software is integrated. This is Skynet. <laughs> this, this, is, this is where Skynet begins. Okay. We always end up talking about Terminators. Yeah. Have you noticed that? It's going to be an ongoing thing. You see, the audience is going to pick up on the, the Terminator references as we do. I can't wait for the new one to come out so we have new things to work with. All right. Let's just embrace it, I guess. It is what it is. <laughs> All right, Ed. Thanks for stopping by. Absolutely. Thank you. For the latest in technology news, go to hypebeast.com forward slash tech. Yo, it's Keith Stiller, our editor at Hypebeast. What's going on, Mikey? What is up, Keith? You're definitely going to need to explain this one to me. All right. So Mercedes-Benz is currently embroiled in this copyright battle with four local Detroit artists. And it's concerning this ad that they posted of their G500, basically the G-Wagon. Um, in their, in their ads, it's like these, you know, photo campaigns, um, the work of these artists are featured in the backdrop, um, in these ads. And so visibly, visibly, you, you get, it's very distinct yeah. that it's, it's a moving work. shot of the G 500, uh, vehicle, like it's rolling through, you know, the street. And then you see their artwork in the backdrop. Um, the artists, uh, in particular that are in this case, it's Daniel Bombardier Max Gramajo, Jeff Soto, and James Dabbles Lewis. Their attorney has been giving us information in terms of um, like what's going on in the case. It started in April when uh, Mercedes-Benz filed that lawsuit saying that they have, you know, like the artists basically have no permission or no right because it is in a public setting. But the artists are coming back saying like these are commissioned murals, so they are protected and it is our 
artwork, everything is like their signature. So that's that's the inverse for those of you who don't follow what's going on here. So if I were someone who was a street artist and I just went to a street corner and did a piece, a mural, if you will, without anyone saying it was okay with on somebody's building, that's probably going to paint over it sooner or later. And then they end up driving past in a G wagon and it ends up in a shot. I can't say anything. Yeah. Back to the situation in hand is that they were commissioned to do said work, so therefore they were paid or some kind of exchange in written word yeah. for them to do the artwork. So Mercedes using it is an issue. Proceed. Yes. And so these artists, um, like around April this year, they contacted Mercedes saying that, hey, you guys need to take this down or we're going to have to like, you know, pursue some legal action. Or pay us, maybe? Or pay us, maybe. Yeah, that's what they said. Um, that's what, according to the attorney. And so now they just had a court hearing on September 9th. And there's no official ruling yet as to, you know, what the federal court in Detroit is ruling in this situation. But according to the lawyer, the judge will issue his opinion in the coming weeks. The court is considering a really alignment of the parties so that the artists become like the plaintiffs mm. instead of to sue Mercedes. Because right now it's Mercedes suing the artists. So it might be like the inverse again. Yeah. I, I mean, realistically, like this is a lot bigger than most people realize just for the simple fact that like a lot of people get commissioned to do work. Like yeah. you could be on the side of my house. I paid a guy to paint the side of my house and then you're using it for photography or any, anything that you're getting paid to do yeah. Yeah, out in the world or uh, and it becomes visible, it's now my intellectual property that you're, you're posting up. Yeah. In, in essence, just because it's art on a wall doesn't mean that it isn't, it doesn't carry value to someone or wasn't valuable to someone else. Yeah. So it, it's hard to delineate in this kind of case where it's like, if they side with Mercedes, that, that opens up like a whole world for other things to happen, mm -hmm. which is why it's such a big deal. So we'll proceed yeah, again. It's, it's definitely like, you know, like hits on like the first amendment, like, you know, freedom of speech basically, or like, you know, like just the idea of, you know, your expression being taken away when you have secured the rights to it. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of, and, and the lawyer was saying that, you know, because Mercedes is such a big company, they think that the artists are going to get like, you know, scared away by, you know, this, this lawsuit, but they're standing their ground. And this sort of harks back to the situation with H&M um, and Revoke last year, because mm -hmm. this isn't, this is one of like many cases of like artists getting their artwork, you know, taken. Stolen. Stolen. We yeah. Could, we could call it spade a spade yeah. here. It's stolen. Yeah. And the one last year, it's, it's kind of, it's particularly interesting because it's, it's a work of graffiti in a handball court in Harlem. And H&M used that piece in one of their campaigns as well. And what's different about this is this is graffiti and the other one is street art. I think we have to make clear differences between graffiti and street art. Mm -hmm. But in Revoke's case, the court dismissed H&M's lawsuit against them, against him. So Revoke retained the rights to his artwork. That, that's very interesting considering the fact that that is a school park. Or yeah. it's, it's, it's a public it's park. It's a public park. Yeah. So you obviously, unless the parks department commissioned you to do said work, you're just tagging up on a wall at that point. Yeah. So do you still own that? Or you just, it's like me drawing something and slapping it up on a billboard somewhere. It's not my art anymore. I mean, yeah. I know I drew it, but mm -hmm. that's not supposed to be there. So. And I think the community, like a major artist in the street art graffiti community, were like backing him up, like with this boycott, uh, like cause, you know what I mean? It made sense. Yeah, it made, made a lot of sense. And in this case too, there is also, you know, like a lot, like the artist community are also backing up these artists. Um, and they're not just like, you know, 
uh, what's that called? Up and coming artists or emerging artists. They've they've been doing the rounds like for so long. Especially like um, James Dallas Lewis. He's like this 80 year old African American artist who built this museum last year, like sitting around like African beads. You know, it's crazy. Like and Afro beads. Afro beads, man. <laughs> and it's just on that a museum dedicated to just like that craft. Uh, without you know going far off tangent, but no, 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 it it, it like that just ex extends his artistic reach, yeah. so to speak. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, back to like the park situation or reference, it, it's still art, yeah, which is the crazy part. And because graffiti and street art, even though there's a there's a fine line between the two in the right area and certain locations, you you almost become like a legend or it becomes a stable piece of a neighborhood. Yeah. So it, over time, if that piece still sits and, you know, somebody doesn't come along and do something grimy, like cover it with their piece or whatever, it, it, it just when you see a picture somewhere or someone takes a picture by a wall or whatever happens, that it becomes a correlation between that neighborhood. Yeah. And that's why people grow with it. And that's why people fight for it. You yeah. know, like I've, I've seen this picture for 20 years. I don't know. It's my neighborhood. I know exactly what, what street corner that is. It's 125th. And what, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 I mean, there's another example this week that just happened yesterday. I mean, uh, Banksy, well, no, no, happened at the end of August, but Banksy finally like commented on it. And it's his mural from like 2017 about like Brexit. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. His oh, response to Brexit. Was, yeah, I, I yeah. saw that. And then they like whitewashed it, but it's, it's still funny because like his response was like, oh, they just, they whitewashed it, but it looks like, you know, a white flag. Like, you know, okay, you guys are just kind of like calling yourself to like surrendering and exiting the EU. That's what he said in the caption. Yeah, so there's there's like multiple cases of this, especially with Banksy's example, because a lot of people were frustrated that in social media they were like, you know, venting out their frustrations like, hey, this is considered like, you know, a very like historic landmark, especially for the, the township of Kent, uh, of, of Dover in Kent, like England, because it's such, such a small town and they have like a, like a Banksy piece. Their town is finally on the map. So Banksy's not only calling out to like this political sort of uh, debate, but also, you know, bringing some attention to this town which helps with like tourism and everything there's like a lot of like political manners involved like I mean, socio-political issues there's cases where they would just take those bricks of his painting yeah or wherever he's painted to go and then sell that yeah so it's kind of odd that they would even paint over it a member of the parliament charlie alpick he uh, called out historic england which is like this public body that is responsible for preserving the country's landmarks to like you know hey we have this banksy piece in Dover, we want to protect this because this is, you know, a historic piece. He's telling them you should consider this as a landmark because mm -hmm. this is the first piece in this town. They sort of like ignored it because they were saying that this Banksy piece isn't old enough yet to preserve. It's not old enough. Um, yeah, the Banksy piece per se. Yeah, per se wasn't old enough to, you know, be on the list for them to recognize as a landmark. I mean, that's a pretty fair assessment, but I feel like there's a lot of underlying issues as with anything else. Like maybe they don't want that signage or that idea still live. Like there's always like something because most places don't even care. Like I said, they, they could have taken the brick. They, they could have made money is, yeah. is what they could have did. Like some billionaire. Would go, oh, my God. Banksy piece. I'll take that. But anyway, so I want to stay up to date with the, uh, the Mercedes issue. So I'm going to rewind back in time and follow your articles. Definitely, man. Um, so, yeah, so we should be hearing from the attorney and, you know, any updates on the case. And stay tuned on Hypey's Art, you know, for the updates. I gotcha. For the latest in art and design news, follow Hypey's Art on Instagram or go to hypebeast.com forward slash art. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Bob Marshall. 
senior editor at Hypebeast, covering mostly footwear and sports. What's popping, y'all? What is going on, hey. Bob? So um, I'm here to talk about the Air Jordan 34. Hmm. Um, this past weekend, Saturday to be exact, they unveiled the brand new silhouette, the flagship model of the Jordan brand. Probably the most popular basketball sneaker I think there's ever been around, you know? Air Jordan 1 all the way up to 34 oh, now. I, th- I thought you were saying 34 is the most popular. Oh, I was like, oh, no, no, take no. it easy, buddy. I mean, it might be. It's it's actually a proper silhouette. So um, Saturday they had a big unveil in Harlem at uh, Dunleavy Millbank School, our center. They brought out a ton of people. Um, they had the baby dunk crew, which is young cats, you know, like they're... 8 to 12 and they just dunk on these like little they play on these little hoops so it's like intense like they're just posterizing kids left and right so fun um and then they eventually brought out zion who was their big new face of the brand to unveil the new silhouette so prior to that they were just kind of playing in some jump mans and um came out did a couple of dunks talked to the crowd unveiled a new silhouette and um yeah the shoe itself though is pretty proper i mean i've played in a lot of the recent jordans and Obviously, the older ones when I was back when I was a kid in high school and middle school, and this one they still perform really well. Um, this one they have big, um, I guess, technology that they unveiled in, t- in it is the eclipse plate, mm-hmm. um, where it has. Is that the one in the forefront or in the in the heel? It's in the forefoot. Okay. The, yeah. Okay. So that's why. So it, it just has these like two plates and um, a massive zoom air unit in the forefoot. And a basically a just a void in the in the midfoot of the shoe, yeah, mm-hmm. where it's just a hole there, um, just to allow for um, more compression and um, move without any restraint, so it can kind of like move in while your the forefoot is allowing for explosion and more dynamic like lateral movements. Yeah, you keep on the toes. Yeah, absolutely. It seems if it was designed exclusively for Zion, the man that blew out a Kyrie. Um, he, he did speak about that and he, he like he, he elaborated that he's been wearing them or he had been wearing them for quite a few games. Yeah. And it wasn't necessarily the shoe's fault. It was more of him not paying attention to the wear on the shoe. Right, right, right. Yeah, I can yeah. That, now that I'm a Nike. Yeah, right. It's um <laughs> Are you a Nike rep? Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's um, yeah, that was obviously uh, you know, blew up. Um, the news went crazy. The shoe sold at like an auction for an insane amount of money. Yeah, the shoe itself though is great. It's still super- it looks it looks really dope. I'm I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna double dutch my way in this one, babe. So I like the fact that there's an entire open space and kind of feeding into the Nike Air aspect of the Jordan 34. Yeah. A part of me feels like they're just using that. Okay, so so I have to describe this a little bit. So there's a hole through the hole center. So basically, when you step down, you get a extra compression from underneath, so right. to speak. It's actually a pretty dope idea. Yeah, because usually there's foam there. It's yes. like there's nothing really there other than just foam just kind of fill a void. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you have the zoom air units up front and these plates. Um, so yeah, instead of just having filling it up with foam for really no reason, mm-hmm. they're just kind of like, all right, let's see how this works. And it performs really well. Oh, uh, did you see the uh, the long distance jumper for so like they they were doing like this Olympics thing and he has a prosthetic leg, right? Right. So one leg is his leg, the other is a pro, uh, prosthetic. Okay. And he does the long jump and he uses the pivot foot is the prosthetic. Now, it, I guess this is aluminum or however they make that prosthetic leg. It has a lot of bounce to it. Right. So he like murders the entire pit. Like right. he just long he picks off. He's gone. I'm thinking this has kind of like that same kind of feeling to it. So it's the way that like it's set up, it gives you more of a uh, more of a buoyant feel. Like when you step down, because I mean, foam is receptive. I feel like the way that this is set up, it's more responsive 
as opposed to receptive. So yeah. like you're, you're getting more of a push just in the center of your foot. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious, maybe, maybe I'll try a pair of these things. <laughs> yeah, I hate I to mean, say it, but like every once in a while I'm curious. I mean, you do have to realize that shoes are still built for the athletes and mm -hmm. a lot of the Jordan brand athletes are explosive. Like they're high flyers, Tatum, uh, Zion, you know, like these guys, like they need to move mm -hmm. to get to that basket. So, I mean, that nails it. Um, on top of it, it's super light. It's only 13 ounces. What? Yeah, super light. It's only 13 ounces. It has like an engineer mesh upper. Hmm. Oh, um, oh, it's almost transparent. Yeah, yeah. You can see like in the midfoot, it's still pretty transparent. The lighting on it, yeah, you can see right through it, which is insane. Um, and then it's just other light materials like suede and mesh throughout. Yeah, the, the material aspect of the shoe is probably what makes it so light. I mean, obviously the outsole too is what makes it so light since there's so much air going through it. Right. I'm just curious to see how this holds up in the uh, in the interim. Yeah, I mean. You're going to see it on a lot of the young cats. Uh, Zion, obviously included. I keep mentioning him, but he's going to be the one that we're going to be watching all season long. So. Yeah, you already know what's going to happen with that. All oh, year, it's going to be just Zion talk. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for the kid, though, so let's just keep your head on straight. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's in a good place. I mean, he's on a good young team, so we'll see. I mean, um, they do go on sale soon, later this month, $180, which is really where the basketball sneaker market is these days. I mean, unless you want to go all the way down to the freak, which I believe is 110 or 120. Um, yeah, so thanks for having me. You already know. Bob, always a pleasure. I'm going to give you oh, a you fit, give me fit, oh, yeah. fist bumps yeah. on the mic today because no, uh, we're not trying to catch colds. All right, guys. <laughs> for the latest in footwear news, you can check out Hypebeast Kicks on Instagram or go to hypebeast.com forward slash footwear. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Hype Report. You can find out more about the show and listen to other episodes on hypebeast.com forward slash radio. You can subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. Leave a comment and let us know what you think about this week's topics. You can reach out to me on Instagram at Mikey Dab, and that's two Bs. And shout out to the editorial team. I'm Mikey Dab, and thanks for listening to The Hype Report. Any comment, opinion, or suggestion made by any person contained in this episode does not represent Hypebeast in any way, and those genuinely are their individual, personal opinion, and thoughts towards the topic shared.